Well, good morning, church family. It is so good to be once again joined in this way and looking forward to next week where we'll have the opportunity to once again be uh, starting to regather inside this building. But as we gather this morning, we certainly turn our hearts and our minds to those who have lost a soldier uh, in the field of battle or in regular duty. And so we honor you we honor their sacrifice for our freedom that we may be able to, in fact, gather today and to be able to worship in freedom. But we also come together today to honor our graduates, whether from high school or college or higher levels uh, from that. And as you can see, I'm dressed today in honor of those graduates as well. And my sermon today is going to be a charge to those graduates but not only a charge to the graduates, but prayerfully a charge to all of us. But I do want to speak directly to those graduates this morning. And so my text will be Luke 19. We'll be looking at verses 11 through 27. While you're turning there, a few very quick announcements. As I said before, next Sunday, May 31st, we'll begin the process of regathering and reopening Mint Hill Baptist Church. Things are going to look a little bit different. And we will have two services, one at 8.30 and one at 11 a.m. And as we move through this week, we're finishing and finalizing a system by which you can RSVP and save a seat for any of those services. So we're looking forward to having you all join. But whether you come back and join with us here in this building or you are at home, and we do advise those that may be most vulnerable to maybe wait just a little longer through this season before you return, I do want to encourage everyone that we will be participating in Lord's Supper next Sunday. So whether you are here, we will have individual cups that you can pick up on your way in. But if you are going to be staying at home, I would encourage you to, this week, grab some saltines and some grape juice so that you too can participate in Lord's Supper with the greater body of believers. And last is this, being Memorial Day, we will not have an evening service. So there will not be an outdoor evening service tonight. Uh, do enjoy spending time with your family. Do reach out to those uh, who may have lost a loved one and celebrate them. And graduates, we hope that you are, throughout this very different time of graduating, having the opportunity to spend time with your family. So with that, I want to turn to our text this morning. I've titled today's sermon, Don't Waste Christ's Gift. Don't Waste Christ's Gift. This past week marked a, 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 a big milestone, I think, in not only my life, but in the life of a great, of an entire generation, really. 20 years ago, on May 17th, I'm sorry, May 20th of 2000, there was an event called One Day that occurred in Memphis, Tennessee. And what it was is passion conferences were beginning to ramp up, and this was their first large gathering of college students and young adults from around the country. And so we all gathered. I went, Heather went, and a, a group of us from the church that we attended at that time went, and we joined more than 50,000 other college students for just one day of worship, prayer, and uh, being in God's Word. And that day was very wet. We were outside. There was very little protection from the elements, and we were all just in ponchos and getting drenched. But we were focused on what God was doing. And in that time, John Piper stood up to deliver a message. 
And for most of us, John Piper was unknown. He certainly was known in his circles. But he preached a sermon that has resonated for the past 20 years. And he spoke of collecting seashells, and it is understood to be the seashell sermon. And I'd like to read just a portion of it, and I'm thankful for Matt Capps, a friend of mine, another pastor in Avery, North Carolina, who helped put an article together about this momentous event. But this is what John Piper said 20 years ago, and it is so appropriate to what we'll be looking at today. This was part of his sermon. He said this to the crowd, three weeks ago, we got news at our church that Ruby Eliason and Laura Edwards were killed in Cameroon. Ruby Eliason, over 80, single all her life, a nurse, poured out her life for one thing, to make Jesus Christ known among the sick and the poor and in the hardest and most unreached places. Laura Edwards, a medical doctor in the Twin Cities, and in her retirement, partnering up with Ruby, was also pushing 80 and going from village to village in Cameroon. The brakes gave way, and over a cliff they go, and they're dead instantly. And I asked my people, is this a tragedy? Two women in their 80s, almost a whole life devoted to one idea. Jesus Christ magnified among the poor and the sick in the hardest places. And 20 years after most of their American counterparts had begun to throw their lives away on trivialities in Florida and New Mexico, fly into eternity with a death in a moment. Is this a tragedy, I asked. And all of us that were in the crowd, knowing what he was saying, cried out, no, this is not a tragedy. And he, he said, it is not a tragedy. And then he said, I'll read you what a tragedy is. And he pulled out a page from a Reader's Digest. And it said this, Bob and Penny took early retirement from their jobs in, North, in the Northeast five years ago when he was 59 and she was 51. Now they live in Punta Gorda, Florida, where they cruise on their 30-foot trawler, play softball, and collect shells. That's a tragedy, he said to all of us. And there are people in this country that are spending billions of dollars to get you to buy it. And I get 40 minutes to plead with you, don't buy it. With all my heart, I plead with you, don't buy that dream. As the last chapter before you stand before the creator of the universe to give an account with what you did, here it is, Lord, my shell collection. And I've got a good swing. And look at my boat. And he closed it by saying this, don't waste your life. I remember that. Don't waste your life. And from that sermon came an entire study guide and what would ultimately be a book that we have now given to you, high school graduates, this morning that is entitled, Don't Waste Your Life by John Piper. And that's the reason that I want to give it to our college or to our high school students is to not waste your life. You're starting on a journey right now that will last as long as the Lord gives you. And I encourage you along with Piper, don't waste 
your life. And with that, that's a perfect introduction into our text this morning from Luke 19, 11 through 27. So if you have found that in your Bible, please honor the reading of God's word by standing. Luke, 11, or Luke 19, 11 through 27 says this. And as they were listening to this, he went on to tell the parable because he was near Jerusalem and they thought the kingdom of God was going to appear right away. Therefore, he said, a nobleman traveled to a far country to receive for himself authority to be king and then to return. He called 10 of his servants, gave them 10 minas and told them, engage in business until I come back. But his subjects hated him and sent a delegation after him saying, we don't want this man to rule over us. At his return, having received the authority to be king, he summoned those servants he had given the money to so that he could find out how much they had made in business. The first came forward and said, master, your mina has earned 10 more minas. Well done, good servant, he told him, because you have been faithful in a very small matter, have authority over 10 towns. The second came and said, Master, your mina has made five minas. So he said to him, you will be over five towns. And another came and said, Master, here is your mina. I have kept it safe in a cloth because I was afraid of you since you were a harsh man. You collect where you didn't deposit and you reap what you didn't sow. And he told him, I will condemn you by what you have said, you evil servant. If you knew I was a harsh man, collecting what I didn't deposit and reaping what I didn't sow, why then didn't you put my money in the bank? And when I returned, I would have collected it with interest. So he said to those standing there, take the mina away from him and give it to the one who has ten minas. But they said to him, Master, he has ten minas. I tell you that to everyone who has, more will be given. And from the one who does not have, even what he does have will be taken away. But bring here these enemies of mine who did not want me to rule over them and slaughter them in my presence. Let's pray. Almighty Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray that you would move and you would speak in this time. Father, especially for those who are young, stepping out into the world in the first time, especially in a time of uncertainty. Lord, that you would press in their life to not waste it. Lord, that they would not waste Christ's gift. Lord, that they would be busy now, seeking and doing your will in their life. And Lord, I pray for all those who may be listening, for all of us, no matter the age, Lord, that whatever time you have granted us, Lord, we would not waste it. And Father, now I pray that you would speak and move me out of the way. And Lord, that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be acceptable in your sight. Oh, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Father, I pray this in the blessed name of Jesus Christ. Amen. So as you can see from where I'm going today, I want to add to Piper's sermon where he said, don't waste your life. I want to add to it, don't waste Christ's gift. Don't waste Christ's gift. And you can even hear inside of this parable the same thing that Piper is saying is don't waste time. Time is slipping away from all of us, and I begin to feel it more and more in my life, that time is the most precious commodity we have. And it moves so quickly. And we do not have the time that we think we do. 
So we need to put it to good use while we do have it. And most certainly, we should not waste that time. So where we are in our text today, we are still in Jericho. Last week, we picked up with Jesus healing Bartimaeus, and he is on his way to Jerusalem, but he has tarried in Jericho. And after healing Bartimaeus, he meets Zacchaeus, wee little Zacchaeus, who climbed up a tree to see him. And he goes to dine with Zacchaeus in his house. And Zacchaeus is saved and commits to the Lord to give back fourfold that which he has taken from others. And so he is at Zacchaeus' house when we pick up in 19 with this parable. And as you go through this parable, there are four things that I think we need to see as we move through it. And the first one is this. Jesus entrusts his servants with a gift. Jesus entrusts his servants with a gift. So the occasion of this parable, not only in Zacchaeus' house, we can see that in verse 11, the crowd that is gathered is listening to him, but they have an expectation. They believe that in this 17-mile journey, that the moment Jesus steps foot in Jerusalem, the promised kingdom of God would come. Rome would be overthrown. The kingdom would uh, uh, manifest, and a new age would begin in that moment. And so they were expecting something uh, to occur when Jesus gets there. And this is what Jesus said. He went on to tell a parable because he was near Jerusalem, and they thought the kingdom of God was going to appear right away. And therefore, he said, a nobleman traveled to a far country to receive from himself authority to be king and then to return. So he is correcting their thought that the kingdom of God is going to manifest in the way that they thought it was going to manifest. And see, as we go through this parable, we can easily see the, the analogy that's going on is that the nobleman is Jesus and that the far-off country that the nobleman is going to is heaven. And when Jesus says this nobleman is going to the far-off country to receive the kingdom, to become king, this is his crowning, which will be his death, his resurrection, and his ascension. So he is saying to them, this nobleman is going to go away to receive the kingdom but then will return. And so we can easily see in this parable that what Jesus is saying is that upon his ascension, that he is going to heaven to prepare the kingdom for us, and then he will return. And that return, of course, is his second coming. And the implication behind this, if you stack all of this together, is that what Jesus is saying is that that's going to take time. It's not going to be as everyone that was gathered with him thought instantaneous when Jesus steps foot in Jerusalem, but instead it will take time for the king to go, for the nobleman to go, be crowned, and come back. There will be a gap of time. And so we see from this time period that as the nobleman begins to leave, in verse 13 he calls ten servants Servants is important. Ten servants, and he gives them ten minas. 
Now, we need to understand this gift that the nobleman has given his servants. A Greek mina was a measurement of weight, approximately 1.26 pounds of money. And it's not a lot of money. In fact, that mina would be equivalent to 750 U.S. dollars. And so he has given them a small gift. And we see that a similar parable is is given to us in Matthew 25 when he is in Jerusalem. And it's the parable of the talents. And it it moves in a similar way, and yet there are some differences. The primary of which is this. Every servant receives the same mina, and that a mina is not exactly a huge sum of money. For those in that period of time, it would be equivalent to about 100 days' wages for the lowest earner. And yet a talent in the parable of the talents, was a hundred times this, perhaps even ten years' wages. But in this particular instance, this gift is a meager gift given to the servants. So how are we to understand this gift as it applies to us? Graduates, how are you to understand this gift as it applies to you? And the gift is very simple. The way I have interpreted this, and if there are different theologians that see in different ways, is that this is the seed of the gospel, that this is the gifts of grace that Jesus gives each of his servants. But most especially, this is the blessing of the gospel that we all receive and is given to everyone who follows after Jesus. So Jesus entrusts his servants with a gift. Jesus has entrusted you and has entrusted me with the gift of his word, with the gift of the gospel, and with the gift of the graces that come with that. The second thing I see in the text this morning is that Jesus expects a return. Jesus expects a return. Look again at verse 13. He called ten of his servants, gave them ten minas, and told them, engage in business until I come back. So here's the command that the nobleman has given his servants, the command that we can hear Jesus giving us, engage in business. And this term in Greek is to translate in this way, to do business, to exert oneself for the business. And so the meaning for us is extremely clear. We are to be about the master's business, to exert ourselves every moment that he is gone with anticipation of his imminent return. Let me say that again. We are to be about Jesus' business every single moment of our life in anticipation of Christ's return. We are to exert ourselves, And so in this, Jesus, the nobleman, expects a return, but there's a return in two ways. He expects a return on his investment, and he also expects a return to see the servants. And so he says that, engage in business until I come back. 
So there's an expectation of his own return. And so for us, in the same way that he speaks to the servants, we should be living with the expectation of Jesus' return. We are closer in this single moment to his return than any Christian before us. We should be in expectation of of his return. It is guaranteed, although unknown. The next is this, is that the nobleman expects a return on his investment. If you go to verse 15, he says this, At his return, having received the authority to be king, he summoned those servants he had given the money to so that he could find out how much they had made in business. He wanted to see what business his servants had been to, and in what way had they exerted themselves. And so the question for us today, graduate, the question for you is this. What does it mean for a servant of Jesus Christ to engage in business? Is Jesus saying to us we should be good stewards of the money that we have? Absolutely. But is that the point that he's making? No. He wants to us, for us to engage in his business, to do what he would be doing. And so what are those things that we need to be engaging in, that we need to be exerting ourselves in? We need to be making disciples of all nations. We need to love our neighbors as ourselves. We need to care for the widow, the orphaned, the downtrodden, and the needy. We need to love our enemies. These are the many things that we are to be engaged in in the time that we wait for the master's return. We are to take the gospel and we are to share it with others. We are to engage in his business. The last thing I said, to love our enemies. There's something that we need to be aware of as we do, in fact, engage in business for the master is this. There will be those who will oppose us engaging in business because there are those who oppose the nobleman. There are those who oppose Jesus and they hate him. That's why we have verse 14 that interjects in this. But his subjects hated him and sent a delegation after him saying, we don't want this man to rule over us. There will be those who hate Jesus and hate his servants. We've seen that in the news even this week. The church in Mississippi that was burned to the ground in an act of arson because the church itself wanted to meet together during this coronavirus pandemic, that someone in the community saw fit that they should not meet together and burn the church down and spray-painted on its ruins, I bet you won't meet now, you hypocrites. There will be those that hate the king, and there will be those who hate those who are about his business. And yet, part of the business of the servants of the nobleman is to reach out to those who hate him 
and share with them the good news. So they move from enemies to servants so that they would love the king the way we love the king. So Jesus expects a return, not only for him to come back, but he absolutely respects, expects a return on his investment and the gift that he gave. The third thing I see in the text is this, is that Jesus enriches the faithful. Jesus enriches the faithful. In 16 through 19, we see this. First thing we see is the work of the gift. Look at verses 16 and 18. In 16, it says this. The first came forward and said, Master, your mina has earned ten more minas. And then verse 18, the second came and said, Master, your mina has made five minas. I want you to notice in the text there what they are saying. They have said to the master, not I have earned ten more minas. What do they say? Your mina has earned ten more minas. There is a humility in recognizing that it is the mina that multiplied itself and that the servant was just a good steward of the mina. He was a good steward of the business that the nobleman gave him, but it was the mina itself that multiplied. It was not the steward who made it multiply. So there's the working of the gift that Jesus gives us, that the gospel itself, when put to work, will multiply itself in a way that you won't even know until you reach eternity. So there's the working of the gift, but there is the, also the quantity of the multiplication that we see in this. We see from the first servant when he says, your mina has earned ten more. And the second servant comes and says, your mina has earned five more. This is a clue for us that there were ten servants, but we only hear from two of them. That was speaking of multiplication. We're to understand that throughout these ten servants that those minas earned different minas. One earned ten, one earned five, one earned three, one earned seven. Why is this important to us? Because the response that the nobleman gives or the king gives to each of the servants, well done, faithful servant. He doesn't say to the one who had five minas earned, well, you could have been better. I wish you would have applied yourself more. He doesn't say that. To the one who earned ten, he says, well done. To the one who earns five, he says, well done. And I think that's important for us to hold on and to recognize the point behind that is that in our lives, we're going to look and compare ourselves to other Christians. And we're going to say, we're not doing what they're doing, and we're going to feel discouraged and possibly give up. This past week, Robbie Zacharias, a, a huge man of faith, gargantuan in uh, apologetics, and a man of, of humble means and great intellect, who has increased the knowledge and wisdom of so many passed away. And many could look at Ravi Zacharias and say, I will not be a Ravi Zacharias, and that's fine. He was a ten-mina man. And it may be for you that you're a two-mina man or woman. But what is Jesus going to say? Well done. Well done, servant. Well done. 
So don't compare yourself to someone who's earning 10. You do what Christ has commanded with the anticipation of well done. Not only does the king say well done, not only will Jesus say well done, but look at the reward given. We see that he says to the one who earned 10, you've earned 10, your reward will be 10 towns. You've earned five, your reward will be five towns. What's amazing about this is that the gift that was given, Amina, could hardly buy a barn. And yet the reward in the multiplication is a town. That would be like saying, here is $750. Master, I've made $7,500. And the master says, well done, servant. Here is the Charlotte metro area in all of its towns. You will be over that because you made $7,500. See, the, the reward is astronomical in comparison to the gift. And Jesus is saying that is the reward we should be focused on. Why should you not waste the gift that Jesus has given you? Because there is a day coming where we will all go to the far-off country. And in that far-off country, Jesus will reward us for our faithfulness here. And that reward will be incomparable. The small thing that we have done here will yield phenomenal results in heaven. And so should our attention be turned in that way. Well done, servant. Here's a town. Here's ten towns. The multiplication of what will happen will be unbelievable. I want you to think even now of Paul, who continues to this day because he was faithful unto the Holy Spirit, that the words are still being moved in people's hearts that they give their life because of what Paul has written. And imagine the reward in heaven. And so, graduate, I would encourage you to turn your mind from the things of this earth and the pleasures of this earth that are so temporary and fleeting and will be gone. They will not be anything that you can carry forward. No technology that you have, no video game, no cell phone, no nothing else will be even valuable in five years, much less than 50. But the multiplication of the gospel and your exertion towards that will yield dividends unto you that you will not know until you reach heaven. And upon that, you will have a greater and more amazing view of Jesus, and you will be able to look out and see just how far that gospel has traveled and how many lives were impacted because you shared it. Don't waste your life on things that will be obsolete in five years. Don't waste God's gift on things that make no difference. And with that, we come to the last part. The last point that I want to give today is this, is that Jesus eliminates the wicked. If Jesus enriches the faithful, he eliminates the wicked. And we see that going from 20 through verse 27, and we come to the last servant. And this servant comes to the master and says, Master, here's your mina, and this is verse 20. I have kept it safe in a cloth. Because I was afraid of you since you're a harsh man and you collect where you didn't deposit and reap where you didn't sow. See, Jesus eliminates the wicked. The first thing he does is he eliminates their gift. And what we see from this wicked servant is this, is that he approaches the master and he says, here is your mina. And in the Greek, that, that, that is translated with, a, with an idea of self-congratulations. Here's your mina. Look what I've done. 
here it is for you. And then he goes on and says that one of the most tragic words in all of Scripture, I've kept it safe. I've kept it safe. But what he means by that is he's kept himself safe. It says he's put it in a cloth and set it aside. Putting it in a cloth indicates how lazy this servant was. That that's not even the safest way to keep something of any value. It was supposed to, in that day, be put inside of a cloth and then buried under the ground in a place where no one could get to it. This one just put it in a cloth and said, I've kept it safe. I've kept it with a half-hearted protection. See, he's wrapped it up and he set it to the side. Half-hearted in his stewardship of what the master gave. And he goes on and then he berates the master by saying, I knew you were a harsh man, that you collected what you did not uh, sow, that you reaped where you didn't sow. And what he's saying in this is showing a self-centeredness. He's saying, Master, I would exert myself for you, and you would come and take all the credit. You would remove it from me. You would take it away. And I know this about you. And this is opposite of the humility that we saw in the others that said, your mina has made more mina. This servant says, you're harsh, and you would take away the credit of my work. And so the master says to him, you will be condemned by what you have said. And he means exactly that, condemnation, that he is hellbound. See, he had an improper view of the master, and the master calls him on this. If you really thought I was harsh, you would have been afraid of me, and you would have done something. You would have at least given it to the bank so it could earn interest. No, no, no. You, out of your mouth, spew lies to try to make an excuse for your own laziness. You know I am not harsh, because if I was, you would have acted. In fear, you would have acted. But you didn't act in fear, and you didn't act in love. You acted out of laziness. You lie about your motives. You were too lazy to work. So he takes his gift. He removes the gospel from him. And the implication from this is simply this. Jesus is saying, if you don't value my gift, you don't value me. And so I will take it away from you. And not only that, is this servant that he is called wicked and evil and condemns him is obviously now going to shuffle over to the last group in verse 27. He says, but bring here these enemies of mine who do not want me to rule over them and slaughter them in my presence. This is speaking of the last day upon the return of our king, Jesus Christ himself, who will separate the sheep from the goats, and the servants will be blessed and rewarded, and those who hate him will be destroyed and slaughtered. So not only will he eliminate the gift that he is given if there is no action used on it, but he will eliminate the life of those who are his enemies. 
So what is the application for us today is simply this. We are not to keep the gospel safe and tucked away. Jesus does not expect us to live safe lives, to have things in a handkerchief that we put in our pocket and don't do anything with. Jesus does not expect his servants to be lazy. Jesus does not expect his servants to waste the gift he has given. He has an expectation that in the time that he gives us, that we are to exert ourselves for the gospel. And so this ties all the way back to the illustration that I gave at the beginning from John Piper of the women in their 80s who flew off a mountainside because their brakes gave way, but they had been singular in their focus and that they had been spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ all around Cameroon. They did not care about their safety. They didn't want the gospel to be safe. They didn't want to keep the gospel safe. They lived a dangerous life for Jesus, and they took risks, and their reward in heaven is great. Unlike the others who show up and say, Master, here's my collection of seashells that will gain nothing in heaven. So for us today is this. If you save it now, Jesus tells us this. If you save it now, you will lose it later. And to the one who is faithful, even more will be given unto them. Graduates, don't waste your life. Graduates, don't waste Christ's gift. For the rest of your life and every moment that he gives you, be about the master's business. And the master's business is multiplication. And he promises us, if we are faithful stewards in the multiplication of his word, he will multiply unto us a reward we can't even imagine. Graduates, don't waste God's gift. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you again for this day. And Lord, I thank you for these that are stepping out into this world. Father, whatever they are doing, Lord, you have given them a gift. Lord, you've given them the gift of the gospel, and you've entreated them to be good stewards of it. Father, for all of us who follow after your Son, You've given us a gift and have told us to be about your business. Lord, let us not waste time. Lord, let us not waste our lives. Lord, let us not waste this gift. Father, if there be even one here today who's listening to the sound of my voice, who recognizes in their life that they are an enemy or that they are wasting, Lord, I pray that they would be stirred unto action 
Father, that they would confess the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Move from an enemy to a servant. And then Father would be about your business in a strong and a mighty way. And Lord, I pray all of this in the magnificent name of Jesus Christ. Amen.